Good evening. And you're all very welcome to the Viking Theatre. And this is our very first live podcast, and it's the very first live podcast for Why Would You Tell Me That with Neil and Dave. So we're all first very And probably the first time a lot of you have been here as well. So you're welcome to the Viking. We're normally theatre, but this is very different for us. Okay, so uh, please, a big welcome for Neil and Dave. Thank you. All right. Hello. Welcome along to the Why Would You Tell Me That podcast. Silence. Wow. <laughs> the great thing is that you don't know what to expect, and neither do we. We've never done this before. We've never been in the same room together doing a podcast, uh, because we started off doing it in lockdown, and the handiest thing was to uh, just do it in our own houses. And then we tried to do it once together, and it didn't work from an audio point of view, and also from a weird personal point of view. We yeah. just don't want to be together. I shouldn't have sat in your lap, in fairness. <laughs> it's part of the issue. Thankfully, this is happening for a number of reasons. Number one is, about a week ago, I had laryngitis and could not get a word out. So that has passed. However, I did get a text from Neil Dallimer this morning to say, you have? Yeah, I have a similar thing. And um, apparently, <laughs> there's meant to, you're meant to take three sprays of this antiseptic spray because it numbs your throat. Yeah. I have taken nine <laughs> and I can't feel my own tongue. <laughs> I'm not joking you. So if I start, I'm not having a stroke after through this. If I start going, just, leave, just throw a blanket over me and, yeah. and bring me to Bowman Hospital afterwards. He'll be fine, absolutely fine. You're all very welcome. Thanks for coming out on a Sunday night. Give yourselves a round yeah. of applause. I love playing a game and things like this. See who's travelled the farthest. Okay. Of course, there's no way any of you know who's travelled the farthest, but anyone from very far away, not like local. Wexford! Where, did you really? Yeah. Jesus, what sort of crime did you witness that's, <laughs> that you're up here now? What's your name, fella? Uh, Keen. Keen, okay. And uh, what do you do? I'm a dentist. You're a dentist? You're about 12, Keen. <laughs> Can you imagine if he caught his little drill out at you? <laughs> Fisher Price. Yeah. No. I, I don't want to be worked on by a fella whose baby teeth haven't fallen out yet. <laughs> Where are you a dentist? Western. Okay. I can see why there's a lot of sugar in the strawberries, isn't there? You can see. Yeah, excellent. Oh, jeez. You have a queer mouth in you there. Um, well, all Western people do go through that kind of rite of passage of selling strawberries on the side of the yeah. road. I presume the next thing then is dentistry. So 7 to 12, selling strawberries, 12 to 18, yeah. dentistry. And then spr- and spring spuds as well. Well, of course. And who are you here with? My lovely girlfriend. Your lovely girlfriend. And what's your name? Roshin. Roshin, okay. What do you do? Environmental science. Ooh! Very so, fancy. did you bring him, or did he bring you, or? He's a big fan. All oh, right, okay. You could have you could have said that in a nicer way. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you. Well, actually, yeah. Show of hands who's been dragged here, and you can be honest. It's okay if your your other half has listened. Yeah. And there, yeah, there's a few there. There's a few there. Yeah. Okay. You don't know what you're in for. I but like. Neither do we, so it's fine. No, I quite like. Look, there's at least two ironic moustaches over there. <laughs> there, <laughs> there are sort of people. Those two. Oh, there's two on the lads as well. Um, I'm, I'm joking. Hey. Um, are you doing it for November, lads, or are you just, just cool? What part of Fibsbury are you living in? <laughs> the, the guy at the, the, uh, the right there. What's your name, sir? What do you do, Paul? I work for a PR agency called Drury. Oh, right, okay. You're the guy who's paying for us. Thanks a million yeah. for coming. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul. Paul, ladies and gentlemen. 
greatest guy here. It's, it's, I should have known PR with his, with his moustache. Look at him. He's had that before. Moustaches were cool. He, he's, he's proper. It's the reason, Paula, the reason that you're all here and the, the gig is free because we, we are here with the Science Foundation Ireland. And remember, you get what you pay for and this gig is free. So, <laughs> Actually, speaking of this gig is free, we need to make sure this is recording. So just give it a second because I'm just not entirely confident that everything's working the way it's supposed to. You mean we haven't gotten the gold so far, Dave? And that man there, you, you were dragged there here as well. What's your name, sir? Queeving. Queeving, which people can now pronounce because of the Liverpool goalkeeper. Yeah. Uh, uh, what do you do, Queeving? Uh, computers. J- just all of them? <laughs> What do you do with computers? Is this a seat? The Air Code Project. You did the Air, Air Code Project? Like, wow. seriously. In fact, let's just change the episode. Lara, sorry, we're going to do Air Codes. Because yeah. this is absolutely... That is one of the best things that's ever happened to this country. Because for years, like, you, you remember we used to try and buy something online and it went... What is your post? Well, another computer's on top here. No, no, go on. No, no, do it. Do it. Basically, went. What is your postcode? And he went, don't have one. And I went, what is your postcode? And like, eventually, just make one up. Do you remember? Remember, remember that? D D two two. I don't know. D two thousand. No, everybody did Eden Dairy nine o two one o. Didn't we? <laughs> didn't we all do that? I thought everybody did that. How good are you at your job? What's my air code? <laughs> Imagine if you knew, you'd shit yourself, wouldn't you? What a mammoth project. Like, I can't even begin to understand how that happened, that you managed to create an air code for every single address. Were there teething problems? Uh, we moved Shannon Airport to a different county. <laughs> that is the most different. Irish answer to that question I think I've ever heard. There's a fella sitting there with a computer going, can we fix the code? Let's move the airport. Let's move the airport. <laughs> Redraw the county lines. Yeah, and, and, and imagine Michael O'Leary going, just call it Knock South. <laughs> <laughs> How many lives do you reckon you saved? Because ambulances can now find out where you, mm. where you live. Two. You know of two? <laughs> Only two. That's only because they haven't told you. Surely there's more than that. Also, that doesn't seem worth the money for the project, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> only two people. I mean, the plus side is ambulances can find us and that we don't die, hopefully. But on the downside, TV licence. Mm. Can't hide. Look at Key and look at look. <laughs> a TV license is what older people use to watch that square box in the corner. It's like YouTube but with ads that last longer. <laughs> You've no idea. I just wake up in the middle of the night, that gun in my head, going, "I didn't do the edit properly." Oh no, it's okay. It's Thursday. It's fine. <laughs> Okay, so welcome along to Why Would You Tell Me That? Our first ever live podcast. We're so excited. Thank you for coming along to something that, let's face it, is just a little bit weird because you're sitting in the room listening to the two people that normally do the podcast in your ears, doing it in your face. You know, I understand it's kind of strange, but thank you very much for coming out on a a Sunday evening in November. We really appreciate it. Uh, We are here for Science Week uh, and we're here to explore what, Neil? Ghrelin. What? Ghrelin. It is the hunger hormone. No. You said gremlins. I No, I didn't. All my research is on gremlins. <laughs> this is going to be an interesting podcast. I'll just get out of there really quickly. Anyone know what a female gremlin's called? <laughs> uh, it's, it's a Greta. Uh, Steven Spielberg has a cameo in the opening scene. Um, <laughs> Jesus, he this does. is real. Uh, this is real, isn't it? I actually did not know you said gremlins. <laughs> 
I knew I was weird that like a double doctor Lara Duncan was coming in to talk about little furry weird mogwais. Uh, the gremlins were nearly played by monkeys. All jokes like with ma- like masks on, and they destroyed one of the uh, offices on set. And they said that's the end of that. Uh, uh, and the guy who directed it directed Mrs. Doubtfire and a Harry Potter movie. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> um, I, I'm wondering whether I should get you to do more of those. So I. <laughs> Because either we have to go back to ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone, or you're going to have to play for time, and I'm going to have to look up gremlin facts. No. <laughs> Let's go with what you want to talk about. Yeah, I did then... say hunger hormone on another yeah, email. Yeah, there was that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thank you very much. We are proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network, we should say. Yeah. And if you're listening to this at home, you can get us on at Neil Delamere Comedy on Instagram, at Dave Today FM, and, or at Why Would You Tell Me That. And we are here in the Viking Theatre in Clontarf in Dublin. Um, so let's start off with some Viking facts. Hang on, tell people why you know Viking facts. Because uh, years ago I did a show, a documentary called The Only Viking in the Village, and I traced my Viking roots because, well, two reasons. One, um, I was interested, and two, there was funding available. (laughs) 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 And again, I'd like to say we're here in connection with the Science Foundation of Ireland. (laughs) But it's I all will, for charity, Tammy, okay? But it is for charity, so if you can figure out those. Right. Um, yeah, so the first vi- recorded Viking raid ever was in Lindisfarne Monastery, just north of Newcastle in England in 793 AD. And the monks were there, and the Vikings came in, and the monks were like, Oh, no, a load of Vikings, run away! Run away! Winky, wonky, bike a groove! Um, <laughs> the only reason I ever knew this place, Lindisfarne, was because of that song. Fucking the time is all mine, all mine. Yeah. Fucking the time is all mine. Yeah. All of the older people Huge. Get that. Yeah. Huge in New Delhi, but it sounds like this. <laughs> this man speaks five languages, <laughs> but a Geordie accent evades him. No, man, that's fine. Oh. <laughs> oh, I forgot that Gaza went and played a lot of cricket <laughs> in. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's on the in, subcontinent all the time. Goa yeah, so, yeah. at some point, yeah. Uh, first, um, so of course, the battle in Clontarf was 1014, very nearby here in Clontarf. Um, and uh, first people to mint coins in Ireland were the Vikings. Oh. Did you know that? Yeah. yeah. Um, and we used to use cattle for many years in Ireland as, as the, coins. That as would be currency. rather awkward. It is. Well, I would argue that notes are easier than cattle. Are very difficult to snort cocaine through a heifer. <laughs> <laughs> But, on, but, but it sounds like he's tried. <laughs> I am from a very rural background. <laughs> uh, on, on the plus side, though, I suppose it's quite difficult uh, to counterfeit a cow. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't go into Moore Street in Dublin and go, what do you want for that? Uh, one calf. There you go. That is a dog in a leather jacket. Um, <laughs> I have a favourite Viking. Okay. Yes. King Harold Bluetooth was oh, the man yeah. who Christianised Denmark. They say Christianised it. His grandson was King Canute. You know who ordered the waves not to come in? You know that famous thing? I don't. No? Legend has it that he was converted to Christianity when uh, a German monk called Popo, they were having a row over who was more powerful, uh, Odin or Christ, and King Harold Bluetooth said, well, prove your white Christ is more powerful, do something miraculous. And Popo put his hand into a red hot iron glove and took his hand out and it was miraculously unscathed and that's why he converted and then he tried to convert his, his people. Um, 
there was a myth that the monk af- afterwards wrote, uh, I was a monk and I'm sworn celibacy. Probably should have used my left hand. <laughs> but um, that is, that is, that's not true. That is not Can true. I just say- this is why we do this podcast, because Neil Delmer says things like, you know the story. I'm like, how does anyone know that story off the top of their head? Like, just <laughs> randomly knows about that. So uh, there was a great man uh, who was in all the annals, who was the speaker of the court during King Harold Bluetooth's reign. And King Bluetooth was so named because he could connect with that speaker as long as he was within <laughs> 10, 10 or 15 feet. feet. Yeah, He was initially flashing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, No, that, that is actually a lie. But... Bluetooth is genuinely named after Harold Bluetooth. And if you look at it, it's a little runic H and yes. a little runic B. Yeah, go and check that out next time you see it. So that's a little Viking Viking fact to start off with. Right. What have you got for me? Okay, so all joking aside, I did know it was about Grelin, not Gremlins. <laughs> I know I'm such a great actor. Uh, but we figured because Grelin is the hunger hormone, we talked a little bit about food, okay? So have you ever heard this thing that honey doesn't go off? Yeah. And do you know why honey doesn't go off? This is the thing, I didn't realise this. So one of the reasons why it doesn't go off is because it is really low in moisture within honey. So microorganisms can't actually exist in there. And because they can't, because that's what actually goes off. It's the microorganisms and their waste that makes things pukey and gross. <laughs> and um, So it, it also has a pH that falls between 3 and 4.5. It's quite acidic as well. So things that end up in honey, they just die off. So there's those famous stories of when they excavated uh, ancient Egyptian, not just the pyramids, but ancient Egyptian tombs, they found sealed jars of honey, opened them up, and some brave soul went, sure, let's see. <laughs> Perfect. 3,000, 5,000 year old honey, absolutely, as long as it's kept contained, airtight, there's, there's significantly uh, a small amount of moisture in it that it basically will not spoil. And that's why. That is quality. Yeah. It does, however, shrunk kids. It <laughs> 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 How many stomachs does a platypus have? I mean, I'm going to hazard four? No, anybody guess? One, two, N- no. We can go three, four. Anyway, I think going. this might be quicker if I tell you. Yeah. Uh, zero. What? So according to National Geographic, if you look inside the platypus, you'll find this weird feature. Its gullet connects directly to its intestines. There's no sac in the middle. That secretes powerful uh, acids and digestive enzymes. Does that affect how the platypus consumes things then? Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's code for don't ask me any more questions. <laughs> fair, that's fair, that's fair. That's all I need to know. Okay, carrots. What colour are carrots? What colour should carrots be? Oh, Purple. Yeah. Yeah. People know this thing, okay? The reason they should be purple, though, is very interesting, right? So wild carrots, which I didn't know were a thing, but wild carrots were white or pale yellow. And then cultivated carrots were mostly purple, uh, and a few species were different colours, including orange. Now, does anyone think they know why the Dutch popularised the orange carrot? William of Orange. <laughs> oh, oh, that's very satisfying. It, isn't it? Oh, that's very. Fuck off. Get out. Get out. You're a disgrace. Fake news. Get out. But I was preparing myself for the William of Orange fact, and then the further I de- uh, 
dug into it. I went, oh, no, it wasn't really. That was complete coincidence. Basically, what happened was the orange variety, whatever species of carrot that is, that grows really well in Dutch soil. So because the Dutch in the time of the 16th century, whatever, one of the biggest agricultural powerhouses, certainly one of the biggest financial powerhouses, we learned all about that with David McWilliams in the Tulip Mania episode. Um, he originally was purple as well. He wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but as a result, because they were able to farm out their huge crops of carrots and the orange grew the best, they went, well, let's do that. And so the orange carrot then spread across the globe as the carrot. And then people retrospectively went, well, of course it's orange. Ah. William of Orange, the Dutch colours and all that. But no, it wasn't. I have one about chocolate. Chocolate, yeah. Yeah. uh, According to ABC News, the average American chocolate bar has eight insect parts in it. (laughs) Now, sometimes stats like that can make you go exactly that reaction of like, except, like, are we not eating things like that all the time? Like, what... What kind of safety net is there? Oh, oh, there's there is a safety net. There, there, did you know this? No. Okay, you can have more than that legally. Legally, the, the FDA uh, uh, anything less than sixty insect parts per, <laughs> per hundred grams. Hundred grams is deemed safe for consumption by the FDA. How much is how much is hundred grams? It's a, a bar is about thirty grams, isn't it? 30 or 40 grams? Well, it depends on the size bar you're eating. Like, I get the big family share ones and eat it all to myself. That's definitely 150 okay, grams. Okay, well, if we don't go for a diabetic special, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say, okay, so your average Cadbury's dairy milk. Yeah, other, other brands are available, yeah. yeah. Uh, you, could have, you could have 60 insect parts in that, and the FDA would say that. I've actually written, it, I've downloaded it, and I went on the FDA website, and this is their advice. Okay. And it's under insect filth. That's what it's called. In, insect, it's one of my favourite heavy metal bands. Yeah. Yeah, insect filth and rodent filth. Right. Yeah. Uh, the chocolate in six 100-gram uh, subsamples uh, contains an average of 60 or more insect fragments per 100 grams. Or, these are dodgy, either mm. way are dodgy, mm. or any one subsample contains 90 or more insect fragments, even if the overall average of all the substance, subsamples is less than 60. So if they're all gram, but this one is 90, um, Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, white chocolate yeah. isn't chocolate. Well, I, like what? just morally speaking. It's, no, no, not. <laughs> no, it isn't. It's absolute, it's gank. It's, it shouldn't even be in the same fridge as normal, decent human being chocolate. Milky bars are amazing. No, they're not. And that kid was untrustworthy. It's absolute <laughs> nonsense. It looks... And, and another thing, that, you know that Ferrero shade, the proper one? Yeah. You know the Ra- Raffaello thing? That is dog shit. You know dog shit used to look like that when it went all it did, white and fluffy? In fairness, it did look like a Raffaello. Yeah. Get out. The younger people around the key won't remember when dog's poo looked like that. Um, but come here. White, white he, chocolate. He does look like the Milky Bar kid, by the way. <laughs> he, just, he just said that. He said that. White chocolate is just sugar, milk, vanilla, and, okay, there's cocoa butter, but no cocoa powder, which is the thing that classifies it as chocolate. So white chocolate is some kind of sweet deliciousness I like, he hates, but it isn't it just isn't South chocolate. America had all the best plants didn't it mm. how in the name of God did Europe go over there we went over there and they had chocolate cocaine uh, chips, chips and fags yeah. and we went have you tried Conkers 
Do you know what I mean? Going up to Montezuma going, I know you're snorting coke off that poor virgin for the sacrifice or something while dipping your chips in Nutella. But look at this. I can put my shoelace through this thing and we can play a game. And you go off and get something and play against my shoelace. Oh, you've smashed the shit out of my conquer. What are you? Oh, you're using a nut out of an avocado. That's not fair at all. Do you want to try an orange carrot? <laughs> Okay, go with something else. What else have you got? Okay, I've got uh, one more food fact for you. Yeah. Uh, cheese is has, has been labelled a high-risk food right. because cheese is the most stolen food item in the world. Cheese? Yeah. According to a report, the Centre for Retail Research in the UK did this report, and, and it was this was in 2011, and they keep reporting this. I've seen this in The Guardian. I've seen this in The Times. I've seen this in Esquire. Uh, according to their data... Four percent of the world's cheese ends up stolen. Why are people stealing cheese? How are they stealing cheese? How are they stealing? Oh, I am. Let me let me look into that now. Um, <laughs> you know, okay, what I mean there is, is an amazing line from a Guardian article, and uh, it says what some of what criminologist Ron Clark termed craved items, and craved stands for concealable, removable, available, valuable, enjoyable, and disposable, such as razor blades, DVDs, and bottles of spirits, are protected with security tags. Supermarket cheese is rarely given the same protection. Oh, <laughs> you'd love if that was the way it was. You wouldn't go. Can I have a box of Calvita? Okay. Take off the security tag. Here's your easy singles. Thanks. <laughs> that would be amazing. You have to go up to the checker for baby bells. Yeah. yeah. You got your ID. But because that doesn't happen, it's stolen and it's easily nicked. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose okay. you're walking out and they're going, Are you rubber cheese? And you go, No, I'm rubber cheese. What are you talking about? And then you just walk out. <laughs> he speaks from experience. Are you just. I just roll the baby bells out the door and he looks and then you run out with a Kilmeadon to call him the fiddler of cheddar. Yeah, has anybody here ever stolen any cheese? <laughs> well, apparently all of you have because yeah. it's stolen all the time. 4% of the world's cheese, man. One very quick one then to finish, or maybe two because they're good ones. Does anyone here have <clears throat> arachibutitrophobia? I think that's how you pronounce it. Is it a fear of gremlins? <laughs> <laughs> arachibutitrophobia is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. I know it's pretty specific, right? But apparently this is a genuine phobia people have. Because you know the way it does that? Well, I don't, actually, because I only ate it once. It did that, and I went, I'm never eating that again. Maybe I have it. But there's, there's only one thing I hate more than the smell of peanut butter, and that is the smell of rice cakes. And my children love nothing more than peanut butter rice cakes. And I love my children, but I genuinely have to push them away. And I, they do it on purpose, obviously, because they know. <laughs> hey, Dad, <laughs> I really love you so much. <laughs> so actually, maybe I have a rakibit, whatever it's called. Let me, let me rephrase that then. How many here, many people here uh, made their Holy Communion at any point in their life? Put up your hand. Keen, it'll be next year for you. Okay. <laughs> uh, Keen, second class. Keen's building up for his baptism. Okay, so that's why all these people, loads of, everybody pretty much put up their hand. A couple of scared Protestants at the back of the room. Um, <laughs> but like, it can't be. I don't think that that fear is, is prevalent in the Irish population. Because if you've ever had Holy Communion wafer, it is the driest thing that has ever been produced by any I reckon there's Catholic countries that don't have the little silica gel if they run out they just throw in the wafer yeah do you know the way rising sea levels I reckon two communion wafers 
Do the job. Two communion wafers into the Mediterranean Sea, <laughs> and then we'd be grand. There's loyalists in Northern Ireland listening to this going, he's fucking right. <laughs> I hate him. I hate him, but he's right. <laughs> Sorry for the bad language. Okay, very, very quick ones, very quick ones. Uh, if you go into the cinema, obviously we like popcorn in the cinema in Ireland and all across most of the world. Colombia, dried ants. No way. Like it's, not like a, it's not like a weird delicacy in one place. It's like, this is what they eat in the cinema. Is that real? Yeah, for real. Did you know that in Colombia, you can have 60 parts of chocolate in... <laughs> A dry dance. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to tell you about before we go into part two is has anyone ever heard of mukbangers? <laughs> I know mukbangers. <laughs> Sounds like Tinder, Tinder for culties. <laughs> but I promise you, it's not that. It's anyone- Tinder for culties. Is that what you said? <laughs> mukbangers. Muckbangers. <laughs> I would go to a nightclub called Muckbangers. <laughs> we, all, we all would. But hands up, has anyone ever heard of the term Muckbangers? Yeah, a couple, there, three, four people. Okay. Four. So Muckbangers, apparently, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, <laughs> but that's how it's written. It is a Korean term and it means eating broadcasts. So basically on Twitch, which is like that streaming thing where people just go on Twitch and they just do things, whether it's playing computer games or playing guitar or doing whatever, and people watch them for hours and hours on end. Uh, this is a thing that began in South Korea, just of people eating. So they would go and they would eat and they'd be called... Now, the other term that is bandied around with mukbangers is BJs. And I'm not joking, it's like, honest to God. But BJs actually stands for broadcast jockeys. Okay, so we've got disc jockeys, DJs, that's what I am. Uh, but BJs are broadcast jockeys. Uh, and again, it's a Korean term. But that's what they do. So they go on Twitch or whatever it is and they broadcast themselves eating and people make careers out of it. Like, hugely successful. Uh, one of the biggest uh, mukbangers is a guy called Bans. Uh, he has three million subscribers. He consumes huge amounts of food, but is absolutely ripped. And apparently, that's because he trains eight hours a day. What? Because he eats so much food, he has to, like, convert the energy. Somebody would pay to watch you or me eat. Oh, well, no, let's not. I, mean, I don't know how high up the mukbanger chain you'd be. <laughs> Like, I'd, be, I'd be king muckbanger <laughs> possibly so um, but yeah no they would they do they absolutely and not only do they pay so they subscribe obviously they can do you know brand partnerships and things to get money and whatever yeah. but yeah the Twitch subscription thing you can throw money at people so if you like what they're doing on their Twitch broadcast you go I'll give them $5 I'll give them $1 I'll give them $10 whatever that happens all the time How, so, and does he eat really fast does he eat really well, slow well there's lots of is different types about it I, I'll be honest with you I haven't watched them but, uh, but yeah there are lots of different ways there, there's, in fact there was a lot of people you know ASMR is that kind of yeah. auditory stimulation thing yeah. so a lot of people when they were doing mukbanging at the start <laughs> such an odd term they would they would do ASMR while they were doing it so obviously the crunching and the chewing and the pleasure noises people might make while they're eating and all that that was all part of it as well but when I saw mukbangers and I thought of this podcast audience I was like you all need to know about mukbanging absolutely mukbanging sounds like a a 15 year old young lad in the middle of nowhere and it's like the Irish equivalent of American pie he digs a hole Why are you always going down to the graveyard park? <laughs> and on that note, that's the end of part one. Join us in a couple of seconds for part two. Why would you tell me that?
Welcome back to part two of Why Would You Tell Me That? Now, this is quite unusual because, one, normally we introduce a guest that you've never met before, but we've brought somebody back because she got such a great reception the first time. And two, it's different because normally uh, I will source a guest or Dave will source a guest and one person will have done the research. But because this is our first live one, both of us have done some degree of research. So, please welcome back to the stage. Uh, she was brilliant the last time. She talked about EPO the last time, or EPO. She's going to talk about... Graylin and not Gremlins this time. She is <laughs> our favourite double doctor. She's an immunologist and a medical doctor. Please give it up for Dr. Lara Dungan. Thank you. Hi. Where's Kean? There he is. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd, honestly, I'd rather go without, with the cavities. I keep the cavities. I'll stay away. Sorry, Keen. Hi, all. How are you? Exciting. You're very relaxed because you just got back from holidays, didn't you? I did. Where were you? Can we, are we allowed to ask? I was in Tenerife yesterday. Class. Yeah, I know. It was amazing. That's where scientists spend science week, apparently. <laughs> Tenerife. No, I know. It's terrible. Yeah, it's the first time I've ever gone on holidays. I actually enjoyed it when I had children as well. I don't know if you have children, but they ruin holidays. This is my first one ever. I was like... I don't hate you as much as I Oh, you didn't just leave them at home. I thought that was the only way to enjoy no, a holiday without them. children. Such a high bar parents have. Yeah. <laughs> I don't hate you. I don't hate you as much today as I did yesterday. Ah, no, good. No, That's all, I'm all relaxed. That's all we're ever aiming for. <laughs> um, well, shall we kick on? Let's kick on. Okay, so we're going to educate everybody tonight about ghrelin, the hunger hormone. And I say we, I mean Dr. Larry is. We're going to ask some questions. But yeah, let's kick it off. Okay, well, let's start with the basic one. Um, where is ghrelin made in the body and what does it actually do? Okay, so ghrelin. Ghrelin is a hormone. Um, and it, the key thing to know about hormones is they're chemical messengers. So they move around the body and they bring messages from one place to another. So famous ones are testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. Insulin, these are all the ones that we've heard of. Ghrelin, or gremlin, as you like to pronounce it, <laughs> is not the most well-known one. Um, and it is made in our stomach, which is where you would imagine a hunger hormone is made. And its job is to act on the brain. So it's a very, very small peptide. A peptide is like a tiny little protein, and proteins are the real workhorses of our body. So we eat lots of carbohydrates, fats, proteins, vitamins, minerals, but the proteins are the things that do all the work. And ghrelin is a teeny tiny little peptide, which is a protein, and it's made in the stomach, and it goes up to our brain and it binds to our brain and it does lots and lots and lots of things. But one of the things it does is says, I'm hungry. That is Ghrelin's job. It comes and from your tummy and tells you're hungry. You said it was, it obviously is made in the stomach, but I thought hormones were made in glands. You know, you hear about the different types of glands you have. Like, is there a gland in the stomach that is making this? So there are cells. In, cells so there's okay. a part of the stomach called the fundus, and that's where most... Now, ghrelin's actually made all over the body in mm. small amounts. So the, the most, um, the majority of it comes from the fundus of the stomach, which is a part of the stomach, also from the duodenum, or the duodenum, for anyone who's 7% <laughs> of your listeners who come from America. That's true, yeah. Because Neil's real chill about where everyone comes from who's listening <laughs> to the podcast. So. If I don't see a spike in the Wexford numbers tomorrow, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> So, so a small part of it is made in your, your duodenum, your duodenum, down in your jejum, another part of your, your gastrointestinal tract. Funny enough, in the gonads, in the pancreas, in your lungs, in the placenta as well, which we might come back to okay. later. But yes, yeah, so it is made in certain cells. So lots of hormones are made in glands. So the pancreas would be considered a kind of an exocrine gland, has endocrine functions as well. But it's made in certain cells that are within the fundus and, and other parts of the stomach. Okay. Can you get ghrelin wet? 
<laughs> yes, but not, not after, after midnight. Not after midnight, I believe. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, no, you can't feed it after midnight. That's right. You can't get it wet at all. No, no you shouldn't. I researched gremlins, too. <laughs> also didn't get that memo. <laughs> so if the, the majority of gremlins produced in the stomach, because that's what makes us hungry, I get the feeling that along this journey, we're going to learn that perhaps, you know, there there could be too much ghrelin or there could be too little ghrelin or whatever. So in a normal functioning human, is the correct amount of ghrelin produced regularly? So ghrelin's a really interesting one because it kind of spikes quite quickly and goes down quite quickly. So there are other hormones that are much more um, rhythmic. So things like cortisol, part of our circadian rhythm. But ghrelin goes up and down very, very quickly. And in an average person, you would eat. And as soon as your stomach is full, your ghrelin just drops. Boom. The job is done. The ghrelin's not needed Mm. anymore. Full tummy, lots of glucose running around your blood. And then over the next few hours, it kind of goes, we're getting a bit low now in glucose. You know, we don't really like this state of being because evolutionarily we are still cavemen. Mm -hmm. So we don't like lack of glucose, even though these days that is definitely not our problem, especially (laughs) with all the uh, white chocolate around, (laughs) which is gross and tastes like skin. But anyway. (laughs) But so... (laughs) You're weird. But anyway... So ghrelin then will start to creep up and in and around three hours after you've eaten, it really starts to peak. So it ramps up quickly oh, then, doesn't it? it ramps yeah. up much quicker than a lot of other hormones. So yeah. is that what's happening? Because you know that feeling when like, you know, oh yeah, it's getting close to lunchtime, I should eat. Uh, oh my God, I've got to eat now. I'll kill everyone until I get something. Like, that's that ghrelin kicking in. It is, and do you know what? Believe it or not, because of the time of this podcast, I misthought this and I don't know if anyone else did this. 6.30 yes, is a shit time for a podcast. <laughs> so I didn't eat and I have a banana in my back over there that I am screaming out for but you do it's exactly that it ramps right up and it does give you this sort of now it alone doesn't cause hanger but it is potentially one of the elements that causes this hanger this Jesus I need to eat now but funny enough actually if you ignore it for a little while it will actually start to go down a little bit again so you can have it in waves it leaves off it'll come back it leaves off but that hanger that's a real thing it's really rough now it's driven also by cortisol by adrenaline and other things things. but the ghrelin as well it's it's almost like a a comedian who normally gets up at noon scheduled this podcast (laughs) (laughs) so what else affects it I read I don't know if you come across this in your research but I read an amazing thing about Sunlight. Did you come across this? This oh, is going to blow your mind. Do you want to tell them about the effect of sunlight on ghrelin? There's a kind of a, there's it's it's up in the air exactly what sunlight does in terms of our hunger levels because there's a lot of evidence that shows actually in the summer we eat less and we eat a lot more in the winter and we aren't a hibernating species like some creatures are but we do eat more in the winter and it's believed to be the lack of sunlight but. There's also evidence that shows that sunlight hits our skin. And as we know, obviously it causes damage. And it's believed that some of that damage releases other chemical factors, things like nitric oxide, which causes us to increase our ghrelin. Now, it's quite protective in women to have estrogen there. So women don't tend to get that e- that rise in ghrelin in response to the sunlight. But for a lot of men, in response to sunlight, apparently they will increase their calorie intake. So in this one study they did, they said it was about 300 extra calories a day in response to a lot of sunlight. Now... It was one study, it was small, yeah. but it is very interesting to show that McGrellan has other functions, so it's potentially protective in that element of the, the damage to the skin. So. All right, so you go on your holidays and you actually want to eat more. If you're a fella. If not, you're a fella, for according not to this like study, but not a I find personally that the heat, I don't know, I find like the hot weather makes me want to eat less. I don't know, do, do, would you? No. Would you want Anyone to eat else more? agree with that? Yeah. Kean, you yeah. haven't had any summers yet. Anyone else, though? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hold on, he's more than six months old. Like. <laughs> 
<laughs> people listen to this. People listen to this abroad. Gone like he has to be at least twenty five. <laughs> Is it like Game of Thrones where it's been winter here for twenty? I loved. You sounded like one of the Starks there. You have seen no summers, young man. <laughs> yeah. Winter is coming. <laughs> um, will a an operation like a gastric bypass or a gastric sleeve was that operation done on the fundus? So, it, will that remove ghrelin so or the majority of it? Ga- bariatric surgery is fascinating. So right. originally there were things like gastric banding, where they would just essentially band off a large part of the stomach, so that. Essentially, it was just a tube. So the whole point of the stomach is it's kind of an outpouching of our gut. Yeah. So it is a, a, our gut is a very, very, very long thing. And there's this big outpouching that, as you said, in everyone bar, the platypus produces an awful lot of <laughs> acid and helps you to digest food. So they banded them in a lot of people. But there's other surgeries called Rouen-Y, which is one type where they bypass the stomach. So they basically pull your gut up and shove it in near the top of the stomach. So hang on, then you are literally a platypus. You are almost literally, in every way as well. You wouldn't (laughs) believe the outcome. You grow a bill, you lay eggs. Um, And another part is a gastric sleeve, like you mentioned, where they, they actually just cut the outside of the tummy off. They just stitch it off, sew it all up, and you're left with essentially just a thin tube. And originally it was believed that the reason people lost so much weight is because they had little tummies. Mm. Little tummies, you're full faster, you can't eat as much. But if you think about it, I know for one, being full does not stop me eating. So (laughs) that's not actually the main reason why it's believed that people lose weight. There was a huge change in how the people felt about food. People who've undergone bariatric surgery or barbaric surgery, as your notes had originally said when you sent it to me. Maybe my surgeon wasn't as good as he said he was. (laughs) He used a handsaw and a lawnmower. And a lot of vodka. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. So the the amount of ghrelin they produce is massively decreased. And um, sometimes, especially in gastric sleeve surgery, there's about a sixty percent reduction in the blood ghrelin levels. Okay. So it does lead to early satiety and a reduction in hunger hormones. And and part of that is a huge reason why people after bariatric surgery lose weight. What sort of effect does your mental state or how rich in calories you think a food is? How does that affect ghrelin? Do you know what? This is a part of this amazing placebo effect. And I'm sure you've probably talked about the placebo effect at length. The placebo effect is fascinating. So the concept where if you take a red pill instead of a blue pill, you are better. Or if you take the more expensive drug rather than the cheaper drug, you end up doing better. But it works as well for ghrelin. So there was this study that was done in Yale. So it has to be real. (laughs) And they gave people milkshakes. So what they did is they measured their ghrelin level about 20 minutes after they started this study. About 60 minutes was just just before they drank their milkshake. And then 90 minutes. So that was 30 minutes after they had their milkshake. And in the first part, they told them you're going to get a really just a calorific milkshake. This is nearly 700 calories. It's Oh, you're going to be so full. And to the other half, they said this milkshake is like light as a feather, 140 calories. There's nothing in it. In reality, the milkshake was somewhere in the middle and they measured their ghrelin level. And the people who had the, the fake high, high calorie, really satisfying milkshake, their ghrelin levels plummeted afterwards. So they were full. They were satiated. They didn't want anything else. The people who had the low-cal milkshake, which was exactly the same calories, were barely any drop in ghrelin at all. It was almost like they'd eaten nothing. So it was all mine. So your brain brain is determining the level of ghrelin production? In that study, yeah, definitely. Now, I mean, it was one study again, and we don't base everything on that. But in that study, definitely, yeah, it was a really mind-over-matter kind of thing. You mentioned, uh, when you were talking, kind of drawing a graph of how the ghrelin ramps up and then slows down. And you mentioned, like, perhaps being able to ignore it can you train yourself in the way you can train yourself to 
knock the crack out of anything. And can you train yourself to to get through the ghrelin spike mm. and get out the other side and, for example, not consume as many calories as you might do or not eat at all, for example, if, you were, if you're fasting? Yeah, no, definitely. I, I suppose one of the things that in medicine we always look to is sort of diseased states. So diseased states is a really fascinating way to look at the normal state because you find somebody who A, has a mutation or who has a disease, a psychological disease or otherwise, and you say, how does it work in them? Um, and if you look at anorexia nervosa, which is obviously a psychological disease where people have different ranges of it, but a lot of people are food averse, so they won't eat. Mm. Ghrelin levels in people with anorexia nervosa are very high. Oh. So they continue to produce ghrelin, but they are able to ignore it. Right. But it's obviously damaging yeah, to ignore yeah. hunger pangs. Hunger pangs are usually there for a good reason. Yeah. But yeah, you can overcome it if you if you really want. And sorry, and that general question, maybe we should have asked at the very beginning, but ghrelin's function is to... You would think you don't need to be told to eat, but you do need to be told to eat. Like your, so your brain needs to, needs to <laughs> tell you to go to the kitchen yeah. and get the food. Do you remember food? what we were saying about kind of the, the evolutionarily we are cavemen? So we are Neanderthals, we are Homo erectus, we are back two million years ago. So we used to live in caves and obviously when we'd be in the cave, we'd be safe, we'd be warm, we'd have our fire and all the, you know, you know our family around us. But we had to go out and search for food. But that was frankly terrifying. So you're inside your cave, it's safe. Outside there's lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, I don't really know what they did encounter. <laughs> but scary shit, yeah. right? So you have to be really brave and really motivated to go out there and get that food. So you need to be forced to be hungry. Okay. Your body needs to say, get the hell out there and get that food. So that's why we are so driven by hunger. Because it was so vital. You did have to be forced to to feel hunger and to go out and act upon that. Mm. That's not quite like, you know, visiting 7-Eleven on your J1 to grab a big gun, but, you know, <laughs> four in the morning, that kind of thing. I'm but, just trying you know, to kill ghrelin, that's all I'm doing. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> just get rid of the ghrelin. But yeah, no, so it was important. I've been slightly distracted because um, placebo are playing, uh, I think, the point theatre. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking, I wonder, are they? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they just want us to think that they're playing there. And you'll come home afterwards going, that was a brilliant concert. That's fantastic. So um, I notice sometimes, uh, if, particularly if, if I'm gigging and I don't get a good night's sleep and I'm back in the road and all the rest, and I'm slightly hyper after a gig, uh, the next day I have days where I cannot get enough food into me, can't mm. get enough sugar into me. I think people do this the same with, with booze if they've been out. And you, you, you just can't, you, you don't seem to be able to sate your appetite. Mm. Is this something to do with ghrelin? What is the effect of sleep on ghrelin? Sleep and ghrelin are hugely intertwined. Um, there's a lot of studies and some of them say that, yes, sleep and ghrelin are very affected and some say not so much. And it's hard to know exactly which is true. But there, there is a study certainly that shows that even one poor night's sleep or a lack of night's sleep can cause a spike in your ghrelin levels. So um, that would mean that obviously you would have a really, really bad night's sleep and you just, the next day you're like, I have to eat, I have to eat, I have to eat, I have to get energy. And it kind of makes sense as well. You know, you're kind of, you're feeling weaker after the lack of sleep. The energy is the thing that's going to sort of boost you up. But there are longer term studies where there's longer term evidence that people who sleep less than seven hours a night chronically are generally those who have metabolic syndrome and are heavier um, and as a general rule again would have increased levels of, of ghrelin it's it's definitely affects you the lack of sleep definitely brings up your ghrelin and makes you hungrier so, so you said less than seven hours a night 
chronically is chronically really bad. Really bad. I have I've been doing breakfast radio on early morning shifts <laughs> since two thousand and two. I haven't had more than six hours sleep Funny, in twenty years. Early morning shifts yeah. actually in another study were shown to be not too bad. So you don't have an excuse. Actually, but. no, but shift. No, but sh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, you saw the opening and then oh. the window just closed. <laughs> the doctor will see you now. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I did want to ask about shift working though because you're right I, so I work in the early part of the day and like most people seem to think I finished 12 o'clock which is probably true um, <laughs> but I but I, I started already finished early so but what about people who work either you know where they start at say you know 12 2 o'clock mm. or what about people who do that dreaded kind of night shift yeah is does ghrelin vary in those people yeah, so it's not specifically ghrelin, but overall your system is very badly disrupted mm. by night shifts. So funny enough, in terms of ghrelin specifically, actually the morning shift, so as long as you're not getting up crazy early, as long as it's not becoming a night shift, actually you're supposed to have lower levels of ghrelin. So mm. actually you shouldn't have as much hunger because you're getting the early morning light and it's supposed to be better happening. for you. <laughs> but definitely people who work the night shift, they have all sorts of issues. So again, issues with obesity, metabolic syndrome, anything that puts you so far out of whack puts all your hormones out of whack. So night shifts and, and especially changing in shifts is really bad. Can I ask you just very quickly, sorry, about the sleep thing as well, because I often hear leptin mm. as another hormone mentioned in conjunction with ghrelin. Are they related? Because is, am I right in thinking leptin is the thing that switches off the hunger? So leptin is made by our fat cells. So our, our adipocytes, which are fat cells, when they are full enough, essentially, leptin starts to be produced and the fat cells are like, mate, there's no more room in here. Right. We're done. We're done. good. Switch it off. Stop eating. Relax. And it's a big thing overnight. So our leptin isn't like our ghrelin. Our ghrelin is spikes. It goes up and down and up and down. Leptin is much more rhythmic, like the cortisol. So it would be up and nice and high in the middle of the night, keep you asleep, stop yeah, you getting hungry. And then it starts to come down. And by the middle of the day, you're pretty starving because your leptin's all down. So leptin, it, it obviously isn't the exact opposite to ghrelin. It has huge numbers of functions as well as ghrelin. And, and we should probably talk about the other things ghrelin does. But leptin definitely satiates you. It makes you feel full. Stop eating. You've had enough, buddy. Talk to us about what the other functions of it are then. Of ghrelin? Yeah. Yeah, because I was thinking like, like, it obviously makes you really want the thing, which is food, right? Mm. And food is necessary to, you know, uh, to take in the food, to have the energy to get about your life. So that mm. caveman analogy you gave us makes perfect sense. But what about things that are also really pleasurable that are just, you know, extra? You know, so I'm thinking drugs. Alcohol. <laughs> mukbanging. <laughs> mukbanging. The mukbanging. You know. Are, are ghrelin, those, the are, mukbanging hormone. <laughs> but are, is, is ghrelin involved in any of those things? Ghrelin's involved in so much. It's right. fascinating. Like, ghrelin, first of all, do, you even, do we know how to spell? Well, you definitely do. <laughs> Dave, do you know how to spell ghrelin? There's no M in it, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> so ghrelin's funny. It starts with G-H and then it's R-E-L-I-N and the G-H is growth hormone. Okay. So actually ghrelin is a huge activator of growth hormones. So it's what we need to help us grow our muscles grow, our bones grow. And for development, it also helps with uh, cardio protection. So in instances of heart attack, it's fine that ghrelin can help protect your muscles. It helps your muscles to grow. It helps bone grow. It's also been proven to be in metastatic cancers. So some cancers that metastasize, which just means they move from their original site somewhere else. A lot of those have high levels of ghrelin. But also, like we said, ghrelin is important for risk. And it gives you a lot of the reward as well. So for alcohol. A lot of the reward as well can be associated with ghrelin. 
So it's really important for things like risk, but also for these risky behaviors. So alcohol, drugs, and all of those things. Gremlins. Live podcasts, risky Live behaviors. Podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All about gremlins. <laughs> risky behaviors, it definitely feeds into all of that. There's a lot of research actually into to ghrelin and risky behavior. We asked our online followers for some questions. Some okay. of them, yeah, yeah, you may be able to answer, some of you may not, and that's the joy of Which a podcast. Which is better, we yeah. Gremlins 1 or Gremlins 2? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I want to tell you one quick story. If you ever want to know the difference between Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, let me explain this to you. I put on exactly the same post on all three. Instagram, anyone got any questions? Loads of responses, and there's a little question box. People like the question box. They filled in all the answers. Must have gotten 30 or 40 of them. Facebook, any questions? Three or four, but pretty good questions. Twitter, all joking aside, two responses. One was, what did he say? You're a brave man asking people about hunger and people can't feed their families. <laughs> what? I'm so sorry. That was Elon Musk then, <laughs> And then the other one was, the prophet of someone is coming to get you. I was like, Jesus Christ. I just wanted to do a podcast. Yeah. I don't know what's happening. That guy was proper. Can't believe you're talking about appetites. When the world is on fire, look at you, you're an absolute disgrace. Oh, Twitter. Jesus Christ, man, relax. Maybe it's better if Elon burns the whole thing down. Can I say one thing that redeems Twitter before you ask your listeners questions? Uh, I have to give a quick shout out to Era Sarah on Twitter. Last week I mentioned the famous obelisk, if anybody heard it, in Buenos Aires. It's about 60 metres high. And in 2015, to mark World AIDS Day, they covered it in a 220 foot long condom. Right, which is fantastic to raise awareness and Sarah chastised me for not using the word novelisk <laughs> isn't that amazing I can't believe I missed it I just got this this, this tweet going it was right there yeah. novelisk was right there okay sometimes you can't see the wood for the wood <laughs> <laughs> okay well let's go through some of these again any you don't know we just move on we cut out it's fine uh, David Dent says, if you don't eat breakfast in the morning, you tend to be a little bit less hungry come lunchtime uh, than if you do eat in the morning. Why is that? Is that even true? So what happens is if you are a regular meal eater, then your ghrelin spikes at the time you are going to eat your meal. Mm. So if you eat breakfast every day at the same time, lunch every day at the same time and dinner every day at the same time, your ghrelin spikes at those times. If you're the kind of person who doesn't eat breakfast, you probably won't get that same ghrelin spike. Okay. So if you are a, re- a regular non-breakfast eater, you're probably not getting the big ghrelin spike in the morning. You're probably not getting the full tummy. You're probably not getting the emptying and then the aggressive ghrelin spike as a result of that. But a lot of it is to do with the regularity. If you're not a regular meal eater, so you eat your meals just willy-nilly, well, well, yeah. you don't get quite the same ghrelin spikes at the exactly same at the same time. Okay. So th- this uh, Science Week is obviously about innovation in science and looking at uh, how science can solve the world's problems. So, for example, you have covered the uh, bariatric and not and not barbaric surgery and that that effect on on ghrelin. But somebody else has asked us, um, uh, Joanne Gibbons has asked us, is there such a thing as a supplement that can suppress the production of ghrelin? Uh, So what has science got to say about that, Miss Scientist? (laughs) Um, um, But also the question is, is, question is, is, should you be doing it as well, I suppose? Yeah, no is the answer. So like, like I said, ghrelin is hugely important in a lot of different things. So it's not as simple as just saying suppress ghrelin. They did try actually in the past to vaccinate against ghrelin so you would vaccinate with the ghrelin 
produce antibodies against the ghrelin. The antibodies would then bind to the ghrelin and, and it wouldn't have its effect. But it, it didn't do anything in terms of weight loss. There are other weight loss drugs that are on the market and there are a few very interesting, innovative ones. There's one that has a GLP-1 agonist. GLP-1 is kind of... It's a bit like the leptin as well. It's a little bit on the opposite. So it reduces your um, appetite. And that is very much a real drug. That's very much available. That's yeah. on the market. Um, originally, it was for people with diabetes, type 2 diabetes, because it increases the insulin secretion, but it also reduces your appetite. And there's been a huge amount of, of studies that show that there's a lot of weight loss with that. So it's not the same as a ground suppressant. GLP-1 is much more specific. But no, you can't suppress ghrelin and you can't give people leptin. The reason you can't give people leptin isn't because the drug doesn't exist. It exists because there are people born without leptin. Oh. There's very few people oh. in the world who have a mutated leptin. It doesn't work for them and you can give them leptin um, and they do lose a huge amount of weight. But it doesn't work again because of resistance. The problem is resistance. You can't just put something in or take it out because your body eventually, you know, quite quickly actually will say, oh, you're having me on here. You know, like, so if you give people external cortisol, people who take steroid tablets, for instance, if you've ever taken steroids, your doctor will say to you, look, if you take this for more than seven days, you can't stop it. You can't just precipitously stop because your own body within seven days has stopped making steroids and a precipitous drop in, in cortisol. So you take your steroids and you stop after seven days, especially high dose, can theoretically kill you. So, so your body will stop making something or will become resistant. So it's not as simple as it's just blocking ghrelin, but there are drugs that are on the market, like this GLP-1 agonist, that kind of work on the system, but very much only in very specific scenarios. So please don't. I mean, there are people who go out and abuse drugs, like melanocyte stimulating hormone, people who do these abusive drugs, but there's all sorts of side effects and knock on that gets growth hormones stimulating it's all these issues so mm. please don't abuse them if you're prescribed <laughs> them by your doctor fine otherwise don't take them please um there was a couple of questions rebecca asked this and a couple of people did uh, why do apples make me more hungry after eating them? does anyone think you eat an apple and you feel more hungry some nodding in the crowd it happens with me with rice if i eat a rice ah, you're a weirdo no honestly <laughs> if i eat rice for dinner an hour later i am absolutely starving you're right three billion people must be wrong <laughs> Do I look like any of those three people? <laughs> so I don't know. Like, are there certain foods that would trigger a, a ghrelin production? Or is that not what's happening at all? No, it's definitely not food specific. Right. So, so the, the thing, I mean, I suppose if you think about it, a massive spike in glucose would then, um, so there's glycemic index in food. Mm. So some foods, for instance, if you were just to eat a bag of white sugar, um, so your white chocolate, for instance, <laughs> you would get a massive, massive spike in your glucose. And then as your glucose went down, that would signal, signal ghrelin. So foods that would last longer in your stomach. So for instance, high quality carbohydrates like brown rice, for instance, maybe you should try the brown rice. I've done it. Or Doesn't for work. proteins, they would probably keep you satiated for longer. But I think that's a self-fulfilling prophecy for okay. Rebecca and the apples. I think Rebecca thinks apples are going to make her starving. So every so time she do. eats an apple, she's pretty hungry. And then Dave goes to sit down for his fried rice and he's like, oh, I need another portion. You <laughs> <laughs> made him much posher than he is. Didn't I? <laughs> I need another portion. <laughs> what effect does um, fasting and intermittent fasting have on Gretel? So intermittent fasting is very controversial. So it's this idea of calorie restriction. So people do it in all sorts of different ways. So they would eat all they wanted on one day and then the next day they'd have only 500 calories or they would do that three of the seven days in a week. Calorie restriction has been shown to increase your ghrelin levels and it makes sense, of course. I mean, you are not eating, so therefore you're hungry, so your ghrelin goes up. And all the things that go along with ghrelin go up. So for instance, growth hormones. So that can feed into muscle development and that kind of thing. 
But there is also theories that calorie restriction is just a way of micro attacking your body. So you kind of attack your body and then the next day your body's like, oh, here's a bit of food. I'll try and fix myself. So it kind of confines some of the issues that were a bit broken by the calorie restriction. So yes, calorie restriction increases ghrelin. Whether or not that does anything good in the long term, the jury's very much out. Calorie restriction is the kind of thing that you could be shot in the street for saying you don't like it or you do like it. So if you love it, go for it. I'm not (laughs) going to recommend one thing or another. In general, do stop eating as many calories as we all do. But I don't think personally that calorie restriction and ghrelin is a big way of reducing your 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 weight you mentioned hanger a couple of times and i think most people want to know is hanger a scientific thing or is it something we've just made up as a as a a society it it is absolutely real so i mean there's there's a lot of anxiety as well that goes along with things like a ghrelin cortisol adrenaline that kind of thing some people get anxiety even just at the thought of eating not anxiety but kind of a a shaky excitement it, it's really intertwined with with like i said risk and that kind of thing i've just thought of the weirdest thing about me and i know we go often have weird this things the about weirdest me. thing about yeah. you <laughs> possibly now can i just say this podcast is only another couple of minutes long if we go into the weirdest thing about you <laughs> okay that's no, not a weird but i've just realized something that when i go when i know i'm going to eat cocoa pops <laughs> Hold on, you're nearly 50. What is going on? Yeah, but sometimes I know I'm going to eat Cocoa Pops. Like, <laughs> right. For example, a hotel buffet breakfast, I go to the morning and go, I'm going to eat Cocoa Pops, right? Because I don't eat them at home, right? <laughs> so, or if it's like one of the kids' birthdays, you know those eight packs, right? The kids are allowed to get them for their birthday, right? But I know I'm going to eat the Cocoa Pops. I genuinely get kind of shaky beforehand. What the hell is happening? I've just realised now this happens to me. Can you imagine how excited you'd be well, about heroin? <laughs> do, do you remember, you know that film Adam and Paul? Do you imagine if they did Adam and Paul go, apparently it turns the milk brown. <laughs> Maybe that's where the name came from, do a bit of brown. Do a bit of... <laughs> I think we should make that film. Do you want to see Gremlins 4 or Dave Goes to Little? What do you want to see? Dr. Larry, you do not need to answer my absolute ramblings. That's only I realise I'm weird. I think legally I better not. I just think he's probably safer. You're a weirdo. You're a weirdo. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, give our thanks to the double doctor, Dr. Larry. Right, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is a wrap. And why would you tell me that live the very first time? Thank you very much. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you for being part of it. The next episode we're going to do is actually about something that I don't know why I'm obsessed with, but I am obsessed with people's height. For, for as long as I can remember, I've just been obsessed. And especially when you see somebody who's outside the bell curve of, you know, I guess what, five foot four to six foot one or whatever. You see somebody who's like either four foot four or six foot eight, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so into this. So we're going to investigate height and understand, I know it's just me, why, but why height works the way it works. Uh, are we as tall as we're ever going to be? We'll investigate all that. That's going to be in the episode. So if you see him wandering around town looking at very tall people, going, how much rice do you eat? <laughs> 
that's what that'll be about next week. We should also say, which we never say in this podcast, is that they are not topical. So if you listen to one and you've enjoyed it, go back and listen to the back catalogue. There'll be something there that you find interesting. And we'd like to thank Science Foundation Ireland for allowing us to do this. This is our first ever one. It'll be the first of many. And thanks to the guys from Jury for putting it together as well. Yeah. And some Viking Theatre too. You have no idea how shitting myself I am that this thing didn't record. In which case, you better stay where you are. 